Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Y en español, ¿Qué pues diremos? Que los gentiles que no iban tras la justicia han alcanzado la justicia. Es decir, la justicia que es por fe. Mas Israel, que iba tras una ley de justicia, no la alcanzó. ¿Por qué? Porque iban tras ella no por fe, sino como por obras de la ley, pues tropezaron en la piedra de tropiezo, como está escrito. He aquí pongo en Sion, piedra de tropiezo y roca de caída, y el que creere en él no será avergonzado. Hermanos, ciertamente el anhelo de mi corazón y mi oración a Dios por Israel es para salvación, porque yo los doy testimonio de que tienen celo de Dios, pero no conforme a ciencia. Porque ignorando la justicia de Dios y procurando establecer la suya propia, no se han sujetado a la justicia de Dios. Porque el fin de la ley es Cristo, para justicia a todo aquel que cree. Amén. Amén. Can we give it up for God's word? Let me pray over our time. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would now be gracious to your servant as I preach your word, that it will come through with authority and power and that it will transform the heart. Would you continue to establish your kingdom inside of us? And Lord, that it would cause our hands and feet to go forth into the world and to proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading with men and women to come to a saving knowledge of him who was raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Bless your holy, infallible, inerrant word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, When playing the game of Monopoly, one of the best cards to have is the famous get-out-of-jail-free card. Some of y'all wish I had that right now. But when you're playing the game of real life, the card doesn't work so well. At least that's what a man in Minnesota found out recently. He was pulled over when an officer saw he wasn't wearing a seatbelt and also that the car he was driving was registered to someone who was on a warrant. Turns out the driver himself was also wanted and he was being searched. The man pulled out the infamous Monopoly card. Law enforcement said he was sincere in his attempt, but the man still landed himself in jail. He tried it, but he fell short. What's the lesson, friends? Just because you try doesn't mean you get to go free. 
Same is true in God's justice system. Just because you try doesn't mean you get to go free. In God's judicial system, sincere tries and zealous hearts are not enough to set us free. It is only when we come to faith in Jesus Christ that we get to go free. I'm going to say it again because I thought I was in church. It is only when we come to faith in Jesus Christ that we get to go free. He is the origination, continuation, and culmination of our salvation. Let me say it in a way that you'll speak back to me. When we come to Jesus, we come to the end of trying to save ourselves. This is Paul's argument here. At the end of Romans 9, you haven't really tried until you tried Jesus. I like the way that sounds. I'm going to play it back one more time. You haven't really tried until you tried Jesus. And if you want to go free, he is the only true get out of hell free card. This is the language of Romans 9. That salvation is not by human trying or efforts, but by God's grace in Jesus. The statement sums up the end of Romans 9 and gives us a more holistic understanding to the question that caused this chapter to be written in the first place. Why are so many Jewish people not being saved? Why are so many Jewish people not being saved? The Jewish people that God called to himself by his own free will. The Jewish people that he dressed in his covenants, adorned with his prophets, whom he presented with the temple service, whom he gave his promises. Why are they not being saved? Paul has already given a few answers to this question, but today he gives us another question. He gives us another answer to the question, why are so many Jewish people not being saved, Paul? And you may be wondering, what does that have to do with me getting up tomorrow morning for work? Here's his answer, because they keep missing Jesus. Because they keep missing Jesus. Just that plain, it's just that simple. But how did they miss Jesus? How did they miss Jesus? It is in the answer to that question that we learn our own lesson today. Number one, they miss Jesus by misunderstanding the purpose of the law. They miss Jesus by misunderstanding the purpose of the law. Watch the verse. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith 
but as if it were based on works. In case you're new to Bethel and haven't caught up to the series, I want to clarify how Paul uses the word Gentile and Jew, those who belong to Israel. And we were ethnically Jewish. Gentiles are everyone else. Gentiles are all those who are not Jewish. And talking about these group of people, he is stereotyping while not universalizing. Paul uses these terms in a broad sense. He is not saying all Gentiles are saved and all Jews are lost. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Paul is writing as a saved Jew who witnessed with his own eyes Gentiles being saved and Gentiles remaining lost. But in a general sense, a vast majority of Jews have rejected Jesus and more Gentiles have been saved. And you would think that it would be the other way around. Look at what Paul says. The Gentiles didn't seek after righteousness, yet they possess righteousness. The Jews sought after a law that led to righteousness, but never succeeded in reaching that law. The Gentiles got what the Jewish people worked so hard to get, righteousness. But the Jewish people had the advantage. Okay, y'all not with me yet. The Jewish people grew up on the right side of the tracks. They had all the money. They had all the degrees. They had the good looks. They had the cars. They had the network, but was unsuccessful in life. The Gentiles, on the other hand, had little resources. They grew up broke, went to bad schools, ate the school lunches. (laughs) Stay with me, kids. I understand but ended up successful in God's economy. On the surface, the text reminds us of the gentleman in 2006 who was hired to remodel a lady's bathroom. As he broke into the wall, he stumbled into two green boxes held up by wires. He found over $100,000 without looking for it. He stumbled across what most of us work so hard to get week in and week out. I sure wish I stumbled across $100,000. I ain't preaching next week. I'll let y'all know that right now. What good to have money if you can't have fun with it. He stumbled across what most of us work week in and week out to get. This is what Paul is saying. The Jews worked so hard, and yet they miss righteousness. And the Gentiles found righteousness hidden behind the wall without even looking for it. Watch the text here. The grammar in Romans 9 is crazy. Pacific, and all, all of what Paul is saying hinges on this one word, righteousness. Righteousness. That word righteousness means to be right. In this case, right before God. See, a lot of us, we're concerned about being right with everybody else. We're concerned about being right with our boss. We're concerned about being right with our friends. But the number one relationship you need to be concerned about being right with is your relationship with God. Word righteousness means to be right, and in this case, before God, found not guilty, record clean. 
Charges dropped. I thought I would have got an amen there. How does one have their sins forgiven and removed? Paul says the Gentiles pursued it one way and the Jews pursued it another way. How did the Gentiles pursue righteousness? Their source was faith. And then in verse 31, he says, Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. That is to say righteousness whose source was law keeping. Jewish people misunderstood the law purpose. They thought, believe this, that they could save themselves. They have been so insistent on establishing their own righteousness before God that the righteousness that God freely offers them in Christ, they missed. Instead of accepting salvation as a gift by God, they determined to achieve it on their own own by their own works. You ever tried to help someone who you knew needed help, but they kept refusing your help? Knew, oh, little poor old them, but they had so much pride down in the inside of them that they didn't want nobody. I run into people like this all the time. I can't ask nobody for nothing. I hate being in a position where I got to ask somebody for something. I don't know about you, but if I need help, I'm calling somebody. If I need $20, I'm calling somebody up in here. And don't be talking about you don't go to church then, all right? But sometimes we can destroy ourselves by being so arrogant and so prideful, thinking that we don't need nobody. Since I'm here, I might as well park here. There ain't nobody in the room that's self-sufficient. All of us are in need of help from somebody. Everybody needs a shoulder to lean on. Everybody needs a hand up. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how much money you got in the bank. At some point, your cute self is going to need somebody to help you. And if that didn't help you in this thing called salvation, you have no righteousness within yourself. You cannot save yourself. The Bible says on your best day, you ain't nothing but a filthy rag. That's all that you are apart from God. All of us are going to hell. I know they don't preach about hell no more, but it's still in the Bible. That's the issue with the Jewish people. They're trying to do it themselves. They're trying to save themselves. And what is happening? The more they try, the more they drown. What's the difference with Peter that I preached on last week? I talked about Peter walking on the water. You remember last week, if you read on, it talks about Peter walking on the water. Here's Peter. He's, he's, he's walking up on the water. And what happens to Peter? Peter begins to what? Peter begins to drown. What 
happened. He stepped out of the boat by faith. And while he's walking by faith, he's walking on water. Well, how in the world is Peter walking on water? Peter is human. Peter is not doing this by himself. He's walking on water because Jesus is giving him the ability to walk on water. But what happened, Peter? Peter changes his eyes off of Jesus and puts his eyes on himself. And what happens when Peter puts his eyes on himself? Peter starts drowning. Oh, you can relate this morning. The moment you take your eyes off of Jesus, you start drowning. Your marriage starts drowning. Things start going crazy in your life. I guess I'm the only one in the room that knows what it's like to take my eyes off of Jesus and start drowning. What's the issue here? The issue is, Peter, you can't hold yourself up. Only God can hold you up on water. You need something greater than you, more powerful than you, more sufficient than you. You need a God who's bigger than water. You need a God who's bigger than wind. You need a God who's bigger than your situations. You need a God who's able to do exceedingly abundant above all. I wish I can preach him this morning, church, that if you depend on him, he'll cause you to walk on water. And here's the dilemma, Gentiles. You need to be righteous before God. But here's our dilemma. We ain't got no righteousness. I know you gave 10% all last year. Oh, you did good. Oh, yes. You've been praying You've been reading your word. You even brought your cute self to church this morning. But friends, I came to tell you that none of those things can hold you up. In fact, apart from Jesus, those things just bring you down. There is no righteousness apart from Jesus. So here it is, the Jewish people are zealous, they want to be right with God, they're trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, and Paul says something happens to them, he says they stumbled over Jesus. Oh, you didn't catch it. They stumbled over Jesus. If we read on, the picture becomes clearer. Notice in verse 32, Paul explains why. Watch it. Lean in on this church. Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Here's what Paul shows us next. The Jewish people were offended by Jesus. We know all about offense in this room, right? Everybody's offended, right? Everybody's offended. I was reading an article the other day about vegans being offended. They were offended that people use phrase like beat a dead horse. They were offended. Everybody's offended. Democrats are offended. Republicans are offended. Men are offended. Women are offended. Everybody's offended these days. But Paul says here that they were offended by Jesus. 
loving Jesus. Healing blind eyes, Jesus. Y'all know everybody didn't like Jesus, right? And if they didn't like Jesus, and you know you're not better than Jesus. I know some of y'all feelings hurt that people don't like you. I got a word for you. Get over it. If they ain't like Jesus, Christian, guess what? They're not going to like you. Paul said they were offended by Jesus. They were offended by the good news of the gospel, of grace. Jesus proved to be a stumbling block to them. They could not, here's why, they could not accept the idea that people can be saved by simply accepting God's grace as a free gift from Jesus. They were offended that salvation was not by the works of their hands. They were offended by it. And the natural instinct of all of us is we must do something to earn salvation. There's something down inside of us that says we have to do something to make ourselves right with God. It sounds too good to be true that God would justify me, especially after knowing all the stuff that I do and all the stuff that I have done. I don't know about you, but I'm shocked that God would save me. When I consider my resume, when I consider my file, when I consider the things that I have done, I have to say, God, there's no way that you're going to love me in spite of me. Rocks are world. Even after we are saved, we still struggle with this, right? We start our Christian walk, walking on water by faith. But then we think the rest of the walk towards God is dependent on us. One minute we're in heaven and the next minute we didn't put ourselves out of heaven over what we did last night. But God's love is not contingent on your behavior, friends. The Christian walk from start to finish is by faith. Are you messing up right now? Are you jacked up? Are you stuck in a sin? You don't get out by your own strength. You look to Jesus. And you do what Peter did. What did he do when he was drowning? Jesus, save me. Oh, I wish some people in here knew that when you call on the name of Jesus, no matter where you are in your circumstance, no matter where you are in your situation, if you will cry out to God, God is coming to get you every single time. And I'm telling you, the preacher's a living witness. Every single time, God has came and got me. When I call out his name, they stumbled over Christ. The Christian walk is always by faith from beginning to end. This is what we see in the book of Colossians. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul is saying the only way to be right with God is through Jesus. And you can't go over him. And you can't skip over him. Let me make it plain. Paul is saying that Jesus is the only doorway to God. There is no other door. There is no other way. And Paul tries to explain it. And so he borrows an illustration from the Old Testament. Here it is. Stumbling stone. 
Everybody say stumbling stone. That literally means something you can't get over. And we have a lot of stumbling stones in our lives today that we can't get over. I stumble at many things. I want that car, but I can't get over the price of it. You want to date that guy, but you can't get over his reputation. You want to stay in your marriage, but you can't get over how your spouse treats you. You can't get over it. People can't get over Christ being the only way to get right with God. For Jews, man, a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Here it is, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Hold your shout. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. For those of us who've tasted him, for those of us who've seen him, for those of us who commune with him, for those of us who abide with him, for those of us who've seen his glory, for those of us whom he saved, whom he ransomed, we're like Peter. Jesus said, Peter, do you want to leave? Peter says, where else shall we go? And I just wish I had some saints that been walking with Jesus long enough that when Satan asks you the question, will you like to go somewhere else? You can't help but say, where else will I go? I've learned that he'll be a pillow in the nighttime. I heard, I learned that he'll be a tear catcher. I learned that he'll be a refuge. I learned that he'll be my strength. I learned that he's my all in all. I can't go nowhere else. The reason we trip over Jesus is the same reason the Jews stumbled over him. They couldn't get over their own religiosity and their own goodness. Friends, it is impossible to come to Jesus if you think that you are right already. No one comes to Jesus thinking they all that. No one comes to Jesus holding up their church resume. No one comes to Jesus holding up their tithe statement. No one comes to Jesus thinking that they're good already. The only reason you come to Jesus is you finally came to grips with the fact that you're no good. The only way you come to Jesus is if you realize that you're a sinner, depraved, and without his grace, you're done for. But those who think that they're good, those who think that they're righteous, those who think that they're all that, they cannot come to Jesus because Jesus ain't come for the healthy. Jesus came for the sick. You ain't going to the doctor if you think you're healthy. Sick as a dog. Coughing halfway dead. Talking about you don't need no doctor. I don't need to go to no hospital. My body natural healing. Yeah, we won't be seeing him in a couple days. The only reason you go to a doctor is because you came to the grips, you came to grips with the fact that you're sick and you need somebody greater than you. 
And it's the same reason we come to Jesus. That's because I realize that I'm sick and I'm sick and tired of myself. Anybody ever been sick and tired of yourself? I mean, I've been tired of some folks. But have you ever got to the place where you tired of you? I'm tired of me messing it up for me. I ain't talking about nobody else. I'm talking about my own sin. I'm talking about my own junk. I need something greater than Dexter. Friends, Jesus can be a rock you trip over, or he can be a rock you take refuge in, which is up to you. But you say, Pastor, But the Jewish people, the kids are with me, even if the parents are not. I kind of scattered them across the room. I said, I want y'all to say amen at different times. You say, Pastor, what about sincerity? Wasn't the Jewish people at least sincere? Somebody might object and say sincerity has to count for something, Pastor. We live in a culture where this is very much celebrated. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely and fervently. And that draws applause on any TV talk show. This allows celebrities in particular to be highly praised for their Scientology or New Age worship of flowers or whatever. Look at them. They, they, they're so sincere. Since all roads lead to God, who cares which road you take as long as it's meaningful to you? This is the spirit of the age. What you got to say about that, Paul? Here it is. For I I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Paul says sincerity is great, except when you're sincerely wrong. The Jewish people were sincere. They tried not only, check it, I mean, they were sincere, sincere. They had put half of the folks in this room to shame, if not all of us. Check it out. Y'all don't believe me. They tried not only to keep the Ten Commandments, but they tried to keep all 600. Now, you know that you broke at least one of them before you got here today. The Ten Commandments, not the other 590 laws. And if you read the Gospels, they were so serious. Look at this. They were so serious that they were tithing their seasoning. They were tithing their paprika, (laughs) their seasoning salt. I don't know about y'all, but I like some seasoning on my food, all right? They were sincerely trying to make themselves right with God. They really, 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 really wanted to make themselves right with God. But look at what Paul says. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And if we are honest and if we don't watch it, we can get swept away by sincere religion. There are other religions that are super sincere in their faith. For an example, the Muslims in the Middle East. We marvel at their discipline before God, the kneeling, the bowing. We marvel at religion who are willing to die for what they believe. We marvel at how studied some are. 
I've seen people who say they believe in Jesus and drawn away by other religious zealousness and sincerity. But friends, sincerity and zeal are not enough to save you. You will strike out every time. Reminds me of this movie I used to watch when I was a younger guy called The Three Little Ninjas. When these three young teenagers were not being trained by their, their grandpa, they would play baseball. But one of them would strike out every time. He was zealous to hit the ball. He wanted to knock it out the park. He was swinging like his life depended on it. But he was swinging not according to knowledge. Zeal wasn't enough to hit the ball. He needed knowledge. It wasn't until he listened to his coach and swung with knowledge that he hit the ball out of the park. What was the knowledge the coach gave him? Son, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. You can swing, but if you don't pay attention to the ball, you're done. You see, the Jewish people are passionate, but they're striking out because they're not playing the game according to knowledge. They didn't keep their eye on the ball. Who's the ball? Jesus. And when you try to get right with God without keeping your eye on Jesus, you strike out every time. Why? Because that's not how the game is played. This is what Paul says in Romans. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Maybe you didn't catch it. Let me say it again. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How do you hit the ball? Get your eyes off of yourself. The law is not there to point you to you, only to show you you are a sinner in need of a savior. When we take the law to be our righteousness, we lose sight of our need for Jesus and strike out every time. But if you ever put your eye on the ball, the game is over. Jesus is the end. Which brings me to the end of Paul's argument here. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. That's both incredible and unbelievable at the same time. The Jews believed God's law was their salvation and would never fade away. And yet in God's plan and purposes, Jesus was the end of the law for righteousness. That is to be acceptable and clean before God. To have Jesus is to have righteousness. It means that in Jesus, the law of sin and death loses its power and the law of life no longer depends on human effort. This is precisely what Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mountain. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hear what they miss. They didn't realize that Jesus was sufficient. And how did Jesus fulfill the law? How did he end the law? Number one, he fulfilled and ended the law by his life. 
We needed more than Jesus' death, friends. We needed his life. He was born of a virgin under the law. Why? So that he can do what no other human has ever done, live perfectly. We needed more than a law written on stones. We needed a person that could show us what God's law looks like in real time and in real life. We need that perfect person we could fall in love with. You know why? Because when you love something, you do right. Y'all not hearing me this morning? When I was younger, my parents used to fuss at me about my hygiene all the time. My daddy be like, boy, if you don't get in there and wash up, boy, if you don't go out there and wash my car, and what I do, I get mad, Tim, because guess what? I ain't want to wash his car, and I ain't want to wash up. But one day I got old, and a fine, I met a fine girl. And when I met that fine girl, my daddy ain't had to fuss at me no more to wash up. No, 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 no. He didn't have to fuss at me to brush my teeth or to put on deodorant. Why didn't he have to fuss at me anymore? Because I felt a new love. And when we find a new love, we don't need the law to push us anymore. The love from the inside drives me to put on deodorant, drives me to wash up because of a new love. And Christ says, now you've seen me do it. Now I give you a new law. As I loved you, now go love one another. That's something about when we come to Jesus that all of a sudden we start loving the person next to us. We start forgiving people. We start doing things we wouldn't done in a thousand years. But he also ended the law by the cross. He then took that perfect life and he gave it to God. He was the righteousness of God hung on the cross to pay for the penalty for the unrighteousness of mankind. He went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice for you and I, and he fulfilled the wrath and justice of God. Only Jesus can live a perfect life of the law. And he ended the law by his death and his resurrection. The Jews didn't realize that the law of God is in Christ is a life insurance policy whereby his death benefits are payable to who? Look at Romans 10, 4, come on, to everyone who believes. Y'all not with me? I say it's a life insurance policy payable to everyone who believes. I've learned this not too long ago when I got my life insurance. Oh, yes, oh, yes. I went in to sign some papers for some life insurance. And when I was signing those papers, they asked me, who's your beneficiaries? And I put my children's name on that beneficiary line so that when I die, don't try nothing to kind, so that when I die, they benefit from my death without doing anything. What I'm trying to say is that when Jesus died on the cross, we who are in him benefited from his death so that when he died, he died until death died. And he had, and we got all the benefits. We got eternal life. We got a new heart. We got a new mind. We got a new spirit. We got a new home. We got a new kingdom. We got a new world. All of that is yours because he died. Oh, 
if we were at a Bears game and they hit a field goal, you would have been shouting a whole lot more, but perhaps you didn't get it, that when he died, you benefit from it. I'm preaching better than y'all talking to me right now. When Jesus died, we benefited from it. Which brings us back to Romans 9.30. How do the Gentiles get righteousness that they were not seeking? They got it by faith. By believing in Christ who has fulfilled the law and expanded the blessings to all those who believe. Friends, that offer is still open. There is only one winner in the game of Monopoly, and it is Jesus. You know how Monopoly goes. Everybody's trying to get around the board and get as much property as they can so they can bankrupt you. Friends, Jesus, at the end of Monopoly, is the only one still standing and the only one that wins the game. But what I love about Jesus is that after he wins the game, all those who are stuck in jail, he reaches into his back pocket and he pulls out that get out of hell free card. And all those in jail, all they got to do is hold out their hand and take that get out of hell free card and they're free forever. Now you can choose to stay in jail if you want to. You can choose to stay in your sin if you want to. You can choose to be locked up if you want to. You can choose to be defeated by Satan if you want to. But Jesus says that who the Son sets free is free indeed. And when Jesus sets you free, can't nobody else lock you back up because he's won the game and the game is over and it's over for you and it's over for you and it's over for you the moment you take that card. You get to go free. So friends, what is it going to be? Are you going Continue to depend on yourself. And let me tell you what depending on yourself sounds like. There's no way I can go to church. God will never accept me. Friends, that's depending on yourself. Let me tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like after what I did last night, it's all over anyways. I might as well just keep on sinning. Friends, that's depending on yourself. Let me tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like God will never forgive me. I'm unsavable. That sounds like you're depending on yourself. When you understand that God's love is what we call agape love, which is a love that is not contingent on you, that is not dependent on you, that he can take whatever circumstance and situation you're in and turn it around. 
because he's just that great and he's just that powerful. And I believe somebody needs to hear that today. You done did some pretty messed up stuff in your life. And you think that God can't love you. I'm here to tell you that if he can use a preacher like me to preach his word, that he's a God of second chances. He's a God of third chances. He's a God of fourth chances. He's a God of fifth chances. He's a God of six chances. He's a God of seven chances. He's a God of eight chances, nine chances, 10 chances, 11 chances. Some of us, we're on our thousand chance. The kind of God that we serve, this grace never runs dry. 